Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to be together and also to draw closer to you. Thank you for your word. And we pray that this morning you would speak into our lives. You would fill us with hope. And you would ignite a, a new season of prayer amongst us that your Holy Spirit might come and make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Just want to make sure the mic's working, is it? Yes? We're okay. Good news. Well, today I have an opportunity that I didn't know I was going to have. As I was putting together the sermon series over the summer months, I was able to invite a number of guest speakers to come and preach to us. And I asked them that they would preach on their favorite verse. Well, one of them let me know about a fortnight ago that unfortunately they couldn't make it anymore. And so I stepped in to fill the breach. And uh, I've been thinking, so what do I want to preach about? And I actually realized that to pick your favorite verse is a bit of a fool's errand for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't have a favorite verse. My favorite verse changes from day to day, probably hour to hour. And number two, it, I felt a bit like if you've ever been in a situation where a friend or a family member turns and asks you, uh, which of these two dresses do you like, or which of these two ties or shirts do you like? And you know if you pick one, you'll be asked, what's wrong with the other one? And, and it's like, if, if you pick one verse, it, it's like, all the other writers of scripture, when you meet them, can say, what's wrong with the other one? What's wrong with my book? And I was sort of imagining that there we are, we get to heaven, and suppose, you know, they're the authors of scripture, and people are queuing up to talk to their author of their favorite verse. And some of them are so well known, these verses, they don't even have to have their name on their t-shirt. You know, they turn around, and it says 2911. And you know who that is, don't you? Yes, you do. And then another one's got on the back of their thing 828 and you know who that is and another one's got 316 and you know who that is and then there's Nahum and Obadiah and there's absolutely no one talking to them and, you know it, it just it's so unfair so I sort of want to say to the authors of the scripture forgive me that I've left you out this morning if I've left you out don't be insulted and I, I was thinking let's try and find a verse You've got to narrow down this book of the Bible. Let's try and find a verse which is encouraging. It will bring good cheer and happiness. It'll make a difference in our lives. It'll be applicable to every single one of us. It'll get us praying. It'll be memorable. It'll feed us. And I realize, actually, even with all that criteria, you've still got so many to choose from, the whole book. So I've settled on one verse, a promise. I think it's a promise we can cling to and we should claim. If you like learning verses, oh, we've gone rather boomy now. If, we, if you like learning verses, um, but you're intimidated by the length, I, I would suggest you could just learn six words, I will pour out my spirit. But if you're up for it, you could learn, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And my hope, my aim in this rather short talk it is to increase our hunger an appetite for a time when God will pour out his spirit. It's a talk which is trying to give you a flavor of some of the things that can happen. Not everything, but some of the things that can happen. So that when we leave here, 
we're saying to the Lord, oh, would to God that you would pour out your spirit in our day. And I think this is a promise for our times in, in two respects. Number one, it's for our times because, as you see on the screen, it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. And we are in the last days. It, it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, although he could. Technically, I believe the last days is that long period of time since Jesus ascended into heaven and between that happening and his return. Those are called in the scriptures the last days. And in that period of time, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So that's one good reason. It's, it's what the King of Kings has ordered will happen. And we live in those times. But really what the rest of his talk does is highlight why it would be particularly appropriate and particularly good news if God would pour out his spirit in these days, in our day, today. Because for so many reasons, it's not just what the King of Kings has ordered, it's what the doctor ordered, it's what we need. And I've, I'm reaching for just a series of, of things that happen when God pours out his spirit. Some of them you will have thought of before, one or two of them you might not have done. And they're not in order of priority, they're just there to excite us and for us to enjoy. When God pours out his spirit, it could be as if a sign goes up and says, watch out, engineering works in progress. Now, normally, when engineering works are in progress, things go slower, don't they? The, the road gets clogged up, the trains go slower. What I mean, looking at scripture, is God engineers things to happen, and the kingdom goes quicker. Have you noticed that? In, in the book of Acts, for example, well, actually, let's start in a different place. Let's, let's take the book of John. Here's, here's a classic case of God engineering something. John chapter 4. The meeting between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, now, we plunder that passage often enough. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. You know it really well. But have you ever noticed that God engineers that meeting? John tells us, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't. He didn't have to go through Samaria in a geographical sense. He could have got to his destination going another way. But he had to go through Samaria if he was going to meet that Samaritan woman at the well. And God engineered it that at the time that Jesus got to the well, there was this woman at the well. And they have this incredibly productive conversation, don't they? And her life is changed, and through her, the whole village is changed. Would you like to nod to tell me that you've read that story before? Yes? Yes. You know it. And that was God, wasn't it? Engineering something. But that's far more commonplace than perhaps we, we think about in Acts chapter 8. It's rather unusual, I grant you here, that Philip goes off down a desert road. He's told by the Holy Spirit, go walk down that road. Now, not many people would volunteer to go walk down the desert road. But the Holy Spirit tells him to, and we know, because it's recorded for us, what happens. That he bumps into a significant uh, treasury official, and they have a dialogue, and he ends up leading him to the Lord. Now, 
why am I picking these things? Well, I actually think this happens a whole lot more than we might give credit for when the Holy Spirit is poured out. In fact, I'm going to try a little bit of an experiment. And those of us who are in the church, we can look around to see an answer to this, and I will tell you who are looking at home what the, the result of this little straw poll is. Think of your own personal story now of how you came to faith. And now just think, with the benefit of hindsight, did God engineer that you would meet someone who would be instrumental in leading you to faith? Or did you go to an event? Let's say, you know, if you went to a Billy Graham event, God still engineered that, that it would happen, you would hear the message, and you would become a believer. Looking back, did God engineer things that enabled you to become a Christian? Hands right up, because my eyesight's terrible. Yeah, well, I would say about 50% of people here are, are agreeing with that. God engineers things. Well, that's great. We need that. Wouldn't that be exciting? You know, at the end of a service here about three weeks ago, I was just standing outside in the rain and uh, greeting people, and this couple came out of the church and they said, um, we were walking by this building this morning. We usually actually go to worship in a church further down over there, but we thought that God was saying to us, we should pop in here. So we have. And happily, they were happy customers. And this was just God nudging them. And one is saying to himself, Lord, would you do that? Would you engineer that people meet the right people, hear the right message? And that happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. But there's another thing that happens which would uh, make us want to pray, pour out your spirit. There's a baby boom. People come into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we see Jesus as he really is. And I, again, I would be pretty sure that amongst our friends, individually, amongst our families, there will be people who really, in, almost in your heart of hearts, you're almost saying to yourself, I just don't know how God could ever get them into his kingdom. In fact, I'm really not sure I can see it happening. I've played every card I've got at my disposal. I, I just don't know how, if, when they'll come to know Jesus Christ. And there'll also be people that you know who, as far as they know, they've really tried to look quite hard. They might even have read some of Scripture, and they, you might have dragged them off to this event or that event, but none of it has made sense yet. Well, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, God opens our eyes. He softens our hearts. And the most unlikely people come into the kingdom. And it has to be said, I suppose, that some of the most likely people realize they've not been seeing it all along. You think of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You know, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. You don't get to be on the Jewish ruling council if you're a slouch or if you're ignorant. He knew the scriptures really well. You could say he knew God inside out, but he didn't know God from the inside out. And that's something that Jesus has to say to him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. That happens when God pours out his spirit. And then alongside that, 
transformation happens. And I'm, I'm sure we know about this because you see it in your own life, or maybe you don't, but other people see it in your life, and you've seen it in people that you've met. I was reflecting on this. When I was at Theological College, uh, it was a small place, about 80 or 90 students, and definitively one of the quietest was a man called Albert. I, I think over three years of Theological College, alongside Albert, I might have got five words out of him. He was just quiet. He was very nice. Well, I could tell. If you've only got five words, pretty good if they're nice. He, he, he was fine. About 15 years later, I, I was invited to a, some kind of an event, and much to my surprise, Albert was speaking. Well, I thought, well, I'll turn up because I'd like to hear more than five words out of his mouth. When Albert talk that day, he was like a lion. He was absolutely courageous, bold, assertive, full of the gospel, full of hope, radiating life. And I thought to myself for a fraction of a second, what's got into Albert? But I actually not for more than a fraction of a second because it was very clearly the Holy Spirit had got into Albert. There is transformation. Unless you think that's just in the reserve of the theologues, I remember hearing someone introduced to a conference as, at one time, one of the most dangerous people kept in prison in the UK. Kept un under watch constantly, kept in isolation constantly, had his meals served to him under a, a gap in the door um, in a high-security prison. And he became a Christian. He was filled with God's Holy Spirit, completely changed. And the Home Office had issued him with a special license to give permission for him to go out to speak to large gatherings of people to talk about the change that Jesus had made in his life. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is transformation. So why wouldn't we pray, pour out your Holy Spirit? And then reaching for some other aspect of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out, there is a sense of connecting or reconnecting with God's love. And I wonder, after what's been a very bruising and battering long period of time, and frankly, we're not out of it yet, I, I wonder if that wouldn't be very timely for so many of us. Because one of the natural things that we do, I think, is hunker down in difficult times. Hunker down and somewhat close down. And it may not be a strategy that we employ deliberately, but it's something that comes upon us. It's sort of like, if I can push my feelings down and, and just sort of get through, then I can emerge the other side and, and you know, reconnect. Well, it, it's very difficult to do that, to reconnect. But when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things he does is reconnect us with our feelings. And I have a feeling that some of us are going to shudder at this point. Like, oh, no, 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 keep off this territory, Rupert. It's dangerous. You know, it's this Pandora's box. You, you just don't want to open that lid. Steer away now. But no, I won't, because God has made us creatures who have feelings. If you've watched any of the Olympics, you will have seen feelings on display. People get a medal, by and large, they smile about it. 
you know, people who miss out, they, they look sorrowful, cry sometimes even. It, it's part of what it means to be human. And the scripture tells us actually that the fruit of the Spirit includes some of the things that include feelings. And I don't think you can dodge it or I can dodge it. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And uh, sometimes people say, oh, that's not a feeling. Well, I think if you're, how can you say that love, joy, and peace are not a feeling? They are in my life. Now, haha, they don't depend on feelings, but they are a feeling. They are a feeling. And the best source of connecting, you don't go chasing the feeling, but when the Holy Spirit captivates us again, our feelings come alive. And all I'm saying is, we don't want after this long, long period of testing and trial to have become inured and half dead to what's really going on. I think we need to be brave and say, Lord, you've made me with a mind, you've given me a heart, you've given me feelings. I want to be fully alive. And very close to that, the Holy Spirit in Scripture is often described as living water and a river of life. And we need reviving individually, as a church, as a nation. So we could so well be praying, pour out your spirit, don't you think? And then echoing some of the prayers that Ken prayed just a few minutes ago, and we didn't confer... Um, so this is a, a happy Holy Spirit coincidence, really. I, I feel personally that I want to pray, Lord, pour out your spirit so that the church of God gets its voice back. Because it seems to me that we've lost our voice or in danger of. God has called us to stand out like light in a very dark world and to speak out with a clear voice. But what impression do I get generally? Well, I, I get the impression that the church has opted, instead of standing out, to camouflage, to blend in. And instead of speaking out, to muffle and mumble the message. Well, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, as you see in the scripture, truth is proclaimed. However unfashionable, however unpopular it might be, because I think the Holy Spirit makes things very black and white. Or, as modern jargon goes, binary. There's a choice and you're either in or out. There's no kind of middle way. And that's why the apostles stood up in the market square and they said, Jesus is Lord. They didn't say Jesus is one of many lords. They said, he is the Lord. And that was massively costly to say that. The Romans were saying to them, big time, no, Caesar is Lord. Caesar's Lord. That's, that should be your message. At least make Jesus one of the Lords. But they said, no, no. We, we won't water down this message. We won't dilute it. And it cost them dear. It, it cost them their lives in so many cases. They could have said, for an easy life, all religions are equally valid. But they didn't. Why not? Because it's not true. 
And only one person in the whole of history has risen from the dead, and his name is Jesus Christ. No one else can forgive you your sins and give you peace but Jesus Christ. You won't stand in front of anyone else and confess that he is Lord apart from Jesus Christ. And this is so basic, isn't it? But the church needs to recover its voice on this matter. And when the Spirit is poured out, you will find the church will recover its voice in this matter. And it's not just that we'll talk the talk. It's that we'll walk the walk. And one of the reasons I believe we should be praying, pour out your spirit, is because holiness needs to return to God's house. Holiness needs to return to God's house. Now, that's very demanding. You can't choose holiness if you don't know who Jesus is. It's a bit like if, if you were blind, I could stand you in front of any vista, any landscape, or for that matter, any painting, any art mas masterpiece, a Van Gogh, or a, a Rembrandt, anything. And, and you might just as well be stood in front of one of Rupert's doodles because you couldn't see it. You, you can't ask a blind person what beauty looks like or what a Van Gogh looks like or a Rembrandt. They've never seen it. You can't ask someone who doesn't know the living true God what holiness looks like because holiness only has meaning in relation to the living true God. A holy life is a life that is lived to please Jesus Christ. And so it stands to reason. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not going to live a holy life. You haven't a clue what it looks like. It's an unreasonable demand to ask for people who don't know Jesus to live a holy life or even to describe it. But we who are God's people, his family, his church, by definition that's what we are, then it's entirely reasonable to ask that we should live a holy life, a life that is pleasing to him. And that's a life that changes for the better. How do I know that? Because God is pure goodness. There's nothing in God which is other than light and goodness. And so what he wants for your life and for my life is the very best life possible. That isn't going to be the easiest life. It's probably going to be a very demanding life. But it will be the best life you can have. And the only way, friends, the only way that we ever come to desire that is by God's Holy Spirit. But when he pours out his spirit, that's what we clamor for. That's what you see as you look around the whole history of revivals when God pours out his spirit. And wouldn't it be so refreshing in every sense possible if it was a national hunger for that? I don't know what you feel, but I feel as I've been reading the newspapers, as I've been watching what's on Netflix and telly and all of that kind of stuff, there's so much darkness. There's so much that just invades my space that I really don't want to know about and wish I didn't have to know about. It's no, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that parents worry about the impact of social media, not just parents either. It's no wonder that 
the inventor of the internet thinks now it was a ghastly mistake, or that the inventor of Wikipedia says he doesn't trust it. Such dark thoughts pressing in from all angles. Well, praying, come Holy Spirit, pour out your spirit, will lead to lifestyle choices of change. And there'll be good choices of change. Well, rapidly going forward, another reason, if I really just frank and tell you why I pray, pour out your spirit, it's for the fun of it. Just dead simple, the fun of it. It's fun when people come alive to Jesus Christ. It is fun to see the Holy Spirit at work, to see joy in God's house. It is fun when people are healed. It is fun. I know it sounds rather immature for me saying this, but I like fun. It is joyous when people prophesy and the Lord is in what they say. It, it is joyful to see whole families come to know Jesus Christ. It is joyful to be in a church full of praise and worship. Why wouldn't you want to be there? Okay, that's not the most mature reason, but it's a genuine one. I, I won't mind if we become an increasingly happy church. I can live with that. If the presence of the Lord is here and puts a smile on our faces, bring it on. Bring it on. Okay, so in, in reaching towards the end, just a little patch where I want to talk about how to and how not to. We can't, we can't make an outpouring happen. We can't crank it up. We, we can frustrate it, interestingly. The scripture tells us that we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture tells us uh, that we shouldn't put out the Spirit's fire. And I think what that says is, is something along the lines of don't treat things of the Holy Spirit with contempt or cynicism. Don't be one of those who scoffs when other people are telling you that God is on the move. Let's, let's be careful that we don't do that. Let's start asking God more and more. Let's be prayerful about our own lives. Let's, if you feel able to, just in your private devotion saying, Lord, send your Holy Spirit and start with me. I would like to be open to your Holy Spirit. That's just a private prayer. And surrender yourself all over again to Jesus Christ. And surrender this church of St. Michael's all over again to Jesus Christ. And just say, Lord, we belong to you. Send your Holy Spirit. And I, I think one of the things we can do is if the Holy Spirit just prompts you, just nudges you, just gives you a sort of idea that there's a, an area of your life that needs to change, say, yes, Lord. Because that will itself be the Holy Spirit at work. Just bringing that desire in us that we should confess our sins, really. To get our own house in order, prepare our own hearts. If he tells you you need to repent of something, just do it. Because you don't want to be found out holding out against the Holy Spirit 
when God pours out his spirit. You want to be prepared. I want to be prepared. Now, friends, as I, as I finish, I really think God means his promise. I will pour out my spirit on all people. And the reason I really think God means his promise is it comes so often in Scripture. Not in exactly the same words, but in exactly the same sentiment. It, it comes in a whole litany of prophets. It comes in many places in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Joel, in, in the New Testament, frequently quoted by Jesus himself, quoted by Peter. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. We have every right, given how often this promise comes, to knock on the doors of heaven and say, yes, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. And if you find yourself praying that prayer, even that prayer itself is a move of the Spirit. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you haven't left us as orphans. You haven't left us just gormless and guessing. You have sent your Holy Spirit. And we, we cry out to you for the fulfillment of your promise that you will pour out your spirit on all people. And we thank you that that promise specifically tells us that it's not an age-related promise. You will pour out your spirit on the young and the old. And it's not restricted to a man or a woman. Both men and women will prophesy and dream dreams. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak into our lives individually and as your family. Lord, you can see where we're parched and dry. You can see where just to get through, we've hunkered down and shut down. And we pray that you would remedy this by helping us to look up and to receive, to be still and know that you're God. Thank you for reminding us that you can engineer meetings. We pray for those people that are dear to us, who we, in a month of Sundays, can't quite imagine how they come into your kingdom. And we say, Lord, would you engineer something to happen that would cause them to turn to you? We pray that we would find ourselves being nudged by you, Holy Spirit. Being shown attitudes that we have that need to change. Being shown where our hope is running dry and needs to be refilled. Lord, move amongst us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. And come and build your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.